Hey, you're listening to Blindsight. Let's go. Dental health isn't something to take lightly. It's time to fight. It's time to thrive. Let's do this. Welcome to Blindsight. This is your host, Bill Lundgren. I'm delighted to uh, have you listening in on this conversation. I'm delighted to introduce Andrew Leland, who's an author, uh, and he has written what I think is the must-read book, which is uh, The Country of the Blind, A Journey into Blindness. And uh, I, I have to say... Uh, Andrew, welcome to Blindsight. Thank you. Thanks and for having me. I put, I have, for full disclosure, I need to let people know I love the book, <laughs> and was particularly and was put, particularly identified because I also have RP, <clears throat> retinitis pigmentosa, and so much of what you said, and I even went through the. Uh, uh, the center that you went through, uh, and attend, I have attended NFB meetings and, you know, I really, uh, really was, uh, so appreciative of your book. Um, so grateful to you for saying that. Thank you. What has been people's reaction to the book? Have you had any surprises? Mm. Um, you know, I think writing the book, thinking, thinking first about blind readers' responses, I knew that folks like yourself who shared the RP diagnosis, you know, would would find a lot to recognize. And I think I felt a little a little wary of the divide that I recognized. And I write a bit about between folks who are congenital <clears throat> folks who are congenitally blind versus adventitiously blind, which is the right. you know fancy way of saying, you know, born blind versus becoming blind later in life. And you know, I think I recognize a lot of commonalities between those experiences. It is likewise the, the the differences between someone who's low vision like myself and somebody who is, uh, you know, what most people think of when they hear the word blind, which is, you know, not seeing uh, at all, even though it's mm -hmm. a very small percentage of, of blind people who have no light perception. Right. And I, so I think one of the things that surprised me and really pleased me was hearing from folks who are um, congenitally blind, uh, you know, who, who are, you know, have been no light perception and hearing that they found a lot, not just that they learned from, you know, cause there's, I kind of, I do burrow into understudied corners of blind history, but also just even in the sort of experiential stuff that, that there's, that there's something for every blind person in the book. Yes. I was impressed not only by your willingness to expose yourself in writing, uh, but also in terms of providing uh, a lot of information about the blindness community and history and things that I think anyone uh, sighted or uh, low sighted or not sighted can mm -hmm. really gain something from. I, that was particularly impressive to me because that, how difficult was it to write the book? Um, it was very difficult. <laughs> you know, I think any book, uh, any book is hard. You know, I have a, uh, a, a, I used to work for a writer who I heard him in an interview um, in the last year or two say that he thinks that 
anybody should have the experience of writing a book just as like an intellectual exercise. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I agree with him. I think that there's something about, for me, you know, my experience, it was difficult, but it, it felt like important work for myself and for others. In other words, I was going through this experience of becoming blind and it brought up lots of really big, difficult questions for me on the personal level, the emotional level, but also the practical level, you know, and it made me curious about, you know, political, social, you know, these bigger kind of thinkier questions. And, and really like I can think of few activities uh, besides writing a book that would have given me the same access to, to understanding the experience and really digging into it. Um, So, so yeah, it was, it was tough, but it was worthwhile. Well, you certainly put in a lot of energy in research and also in terms of meeting people and even uh, coming down here to uh, Colorado to experience (laughs) uh, the program there to uh, get a real sense of what was available and, you know, had some some real feelings rather than some academic who says, well, You know, this is a benefit that people might have for X, Y, Z. You were experiencing it. Yeah, that's something that I think I got from my background, um, you know, working working for magazines and, you know, thinking, thinking you know, my background is a journalist, really, uh, and a nonfiction writer and editor. And I think there there is a lot to be gained from that process of reporting, you know, and reporting can include research and calling people up on the phone, but they're really, uh, in a lot of cases, and particularly in this one, as you suggest, like there's no substitute for getting out there and trying right. things and meeting people and, you know, trying to meet a wide range of people. And I talked to dozens and dozens of, of blind people over the course of, of writing and reporting the book. And that, that, you know, you know, three of those conversations was worth, you know, 10 books that I read because, people's lived experience, particularly with a subject like this is, is you just learn so much from it. And, you know, I think one of the most important things I took away from that experience was the diversity of blind experience. You know, I mean, it was my job to find commonalities and find themes that emerge, but, but one of the the themes that emerged was that, you know, no two blind people have the same experience really, you know, and that there's all these other life experiences um, that can intersect with, one's experience of blindness that can really radically change it from person to person. And that felt really important to include. And that, and I would have lost that if it had just been, you know, my singular story about, um, you know, dealing with RP. Well, I think, you know, when you're talking about people being individual, but sometimes uh, being blind, people who have blindness tend to stay away from other blind people mm. rather than what you did was to go towards mm. and attend an NFB meeting. And I'm assuming you uh, visited some of the school, the other types of schools for people who are blind because you described, I think, so eloquently the difference between an NFB school and uh, that type and uh, what has been traditional in training blind people, which is to have somebody with that blind people at all all times to keep them safe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a. I, I think I certainly heard that story over and over again from from different blind folks who had gotten training um, at, at places like that. You know, and, and also that's a place where where that kind of historical research is is really useful because you can read you know, memoirs or oral histories of, of lots of blind people who, mm-hmm. 
who have been through schools for the blind or, you know, gotten training at centers where they do do feel like everything is sort of on rails, so to speak, you know, and it's like everything is there's a really great book, actually, where I got um, a lot of that material from called The Making of Blind Men by Robert Scott, which uh, he's a sociologist. And I think I think it was published in the early 1960s. And he went around to um, to dozens of blindness agencies around the country and really found what uh, what he describes, I think, as as um, I think the word he uses is accommodationist, um, which is just what you're describing. Like the one one detail that really stuck in my mind was like, you know, they served the hot dogs all cut up, like pre-cut up so that the blind people wouldn't have right. to fiddle with a fork and knife, you know, where there's like a loud bell that rings intermittently on the front door of the center so that a blind person can find it, you know, which if you're a sighted person, uh, you know, or if you're a blind person who has, you know, been told that this is all that can be expected of you, you know, that might make some sense, right? Like, well, yeah, like a loud bell does help. But, you know, then when I visited a place like the Colorado center and I realized like, actually, you know, there's, there's, there's skills that you can use in your orientation mobility where you might be able to, find the front door 10 out of 10 times and there's no need for a loud clanging bell to mark us as a sort of like, you know, that, 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 that would be something that we need. So, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, but then at the same time, I guess I'll just throw out there that, you know, I, I also found really compelling kind of counter arguments to the, to the NFB style of training in some situations, particularly when it comes to folks with multiple disabilities. And that I think it's relatively easy as somebody who, I've heard described as like vanilla blind, which is to say like, you know, there's no other disabilities. It's just sort of like a mainstream blind person, um, you know, to say like, oh yeah, a bell is silly or like, you know, having food cut up like that is silly. But, you know, there are blind people who do have multiple disabilities or other right. situations where something like that might actually be really powerful and actually might be a way to, to access. So that sort of gets back to the diversity of blindness idea where, you know, as soon as you say like blind people need X, I feel like you, there's it's it's very easy to find um, a counterexample in a lot of places. So I tried really hard to be mindful of all the different uh, the differences within this community. Yeah, I got a shock uh, last Sunday at a church that I go to, and everybody knows me there. And somebody said, "Oh, do you have a home health aide come in?" Mm. And I said, "Huh." <laughs> because there's an assumption. I do live alone, but there's an yeah. assumption that, oh, I have home health aid and, you know, all these people are supposed to take care of me, and that's the last thing I want. But there's still, you know, there's still a piece of me that just loves when somebody takes care of me, you know. Mm. And does, does well, we all do, right? Yeah. But I, I was talking to a blind person who was telling me that, you know, whenever she goes home to her mom, you know, she's she's probably this person who was talking to me was like in her fifties or sixties, I think, uh, you know, and she goes home to her mom and her mom always butters her toast. And, and at first she had this sort of, you know, blind political reaction to it. Like, don't, you know what you think I can't butter my toast. And then after a while she realized this was my mom taking care of me, you know, and like she had to accept it. And so I think it can be tricky to figure out like when somebody is, is sort of being ableist or being condescending and when they like are just trying to, you know, show you some care. Yeah, well, I, I've i uh, coined a, a term that I'm using in a presentation I'm giving to uh, professionals, uh, uh, counseling professionals, and that's uh, OAPD, oh, you poor dear. 
as soon as <laughs> as soon as people get into that, I know, oh, this is going to be enabling behavior. Mm. And one of the things I got out of the center was really, uh-uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, I love that. Yeah. And it's the it's the question of really being able to uh, to see blind people, as you say, as individuals. And yeah. I'm sure that uh, you have a wife and a baby, uh, or uh, how old is you? Yeah, he's not so much a baby anymore. He just turned 11. 11. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, but, uh, you know, you've got people around who will do things for you right. if you ask them, but that's interdependence. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is sometimes very difficult. For Are we giving up our independence by having somebody help us? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's the, the very difficult, uh, particularly if you've gone through the independent thing, to say, okay, mm-hmm. where, is, where is the dividing line? When can I let somebody help me and not feel, feel bad about it, you know, in terms yeah. of my training? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I wrote about about this recently in the context of of Be My Eyes and their virtual volunteer that right. uses AI. You know, or, or just thinking about when 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 technology is useful and when it might actually get in the way of that kind of human exchange. Then there's then there's another way to say it is often there's value in that kind of interdependent human exchange that you lose if you put too much of an emphasis on, Good inter- point. on independence. Mm-hmm. And so like my, my example was I, I went for the first time in like a couple of years to this restaurant and I, and the menus were behind the register and I realized like, Oh wow. And though, you know, since the pandemic, basically I, my vision has, um, has deteriorated to where I can't see that menu anymore. Um, and I was going to pull out my phone and maybe try to like snap a picture and zoom in or like use, OCR or find their website. And then my son was standing right there. And I was just like, and actually first I asked my wife and then my son like interjecting. He's like, no, let me, let me tell you. And the experience of him, like going through all the menu items and, you know, it was this exchange where like, I was kind of giving him ideas about what he might order. And we were kind of like riffing and joking about nachos, you know, and like that was such a pleasant experience. And one that I don't think I would have been better off if I had just like been fully independent with my, you know, with yeah. my mm-hmm. blind tech mm-hmm. skills. And that, that's not to say that there's not really important uses for those. You know, I use, I use yeah. screen readers every day, but, but there's also, there are also, I think we need to hold space for the other, the other side of it, which you named as in, interdependence, which is really important. Yeah. Well, I think what I've said uh, to, to people at times, and uh, I got confronted by someone because I was refusing to let him help me. This was before mm. when I was just getting used to being blind and trying to really mm. deny it. Uh, I went into a restaurant and I kept bumping into things I couldn't find where, where he and some friends were sitting. And he said, and he confronted me and said, you know how much, how, uh, it feels when you help somebody. How dare you deny me of that feeling, uh, by not letting me help you. Hmm. And that was, uh, and I s- said that to someone uh, in the blindness community, and she uh, sort of huffed and said, well, I don't do it just to make other people feel good. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, that's hard. 
Yeah, the balance that we have to do in terms of being independent, knowing that we that we do, uh, that we can do. Yeah. But yeah. at the same you know, time. Yeah. yeah. That we that, that, that's something to. that I really got from my time at the Colorado Center was, uh, you know, and this is something I think I think probably the, the best expression of it I've heard is, is when I interviewed Brian Bashan, who um, used to be the um, the head of the San Francisco Lighthouse. And, um, you know, he did he did NFB training, NFB style training, too. You know, and he says, like, you, you're not trained until you 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 realize that um basically that it's okay to get lost and that you're not you're not lost like that you'll figure it out basically and that you can look at it like a puzzle like a magnificent puzzle rather than as you know some terrible fate that's befallen you and 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 the, the power of that is that in those moments when you do feel maybe some embarrassment or frustration like thrashing around with your cane amid the mid tables trying to find your way to to where you're going like i think especially growing up as a sighted person that just feels wrong right it's like you're like causing a disturbance you're you feel like you don't belong you're you're messing things up but like i think if you if you reframe things and like what's the blind way of finding your table it does involve that kind of you know structured discovery or you know exploration of a space that to the sighted eye looks confusing and maybe a little alarming but the more comfortable you can get with just like owning the space in that way and 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 by the way like that's when other blind people really become powerful because it's like forget about just one blind person like you got three of us like fanned out you know like taking over a space then it's really then it really feels good right but (laughs) you know easier said than done but i've found that those moments when i can resist help and just say like you know my line that i say to friends when they're like i don't know how much help you need and i tend to say like if i'm like about to you know if there's like a huge metal pole that's swinging that i'm not going to hear like or a manhole that I'm about to walk into, like, let me know about that. But like everything else I'll figure out, Yeah, you know? And, and I think that that's a good, like, that's kind of the level that I'm at right now. Like, cause I do, that feels better to me. Like if my cane hits a curb and then I just can step up on it rather than like, right. as we're walking this constant stream of like curb ahead of you, here we go, turn and right. You know, like I, that, that just, that just gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it's one of the things, particularly for us males, it's, it's kind of hard to ask for help. So in some mm-hmm. ways is it, that, you know, I'm being general, uh, and speaking very generally, but, but the thing is we have to, that's what helps us. But at the same mm-hmm. time to say, okay, wait a minute, you don't need to do so much for me. And that's yeah. all, sometimes that's real hard to say. You know, I, I appreciate your help, but let me let me figure this out because I've had little old ladies drag me across the street when I happen yeah. to be stopping, just stopping to try to figure out uh, where is the best yeah. way to go. And they yeah. pull me across the street, and I don't want to hit them over the head with a cane. <laughs> so I just want to, you know, but I, didn't, yeah. I hadn't intended to cross the street, but it's right. that kind of thing. That's the tension that sometimes is, is involved, and we don't want to be nasty about it. Right. Well, some of us, I know, <laughs> but, yeah. we don't, yeah. but, but we do have to pay attention to our, uh, uh, our abilities and feel good about what we're doing and how we're doing it and that way we can uh, we can progress yeah yeah i mean you know and even even if you were meaning to cross the street there you know i think there's a strong argument that it's not it's doing you a disservice if you're going to have to come back the same way or you know cross that street again tomorrow right. like 
you know, her just zipping you over, you know, in some ways it deprives you of engaging with the environment yeah. and understanding it. You know, if you're in a hurry and, you know, you got to get there, like, sure, that makes sense. But, um, but yeah, just like the default assumption that a blind person is always in need of help and, and that the sighted person knows what they need, uh, it does start to add up over the years and accumulate. And I'm only really at the beginning of that accumulation because, you know, having low vision, I feel like I can sort of like see some people coming sometimes and get out of the way. But like the less vision I have, the more intrusive I've noticed people, people are. And so, yeah, it's, it, and it's, and it's, it is a sort of like emotional, um, baggage question of like how much of your own psychic calories are you willing to burn every day and like fighting those battles with people versus sometimes just saying like, whatever, okay, they're never going to learn and I'm just going to move on. I guess this is a hard question to ask, but if you look back on the book, do you have anything that you wished you put in the book or the experience or whatever? Or is the book, as far as you're concerned, is the way it needs to be? Mm, that's a really good question. I mean, I think my philosophy of writing is that, you know, deadlines are important, not just in a practical sense, but I think like in a kind of like a metaphysical sense too. In, in other words, right, like the book right. doesn't exist without the deadline. And so like, I just feel like I have to give myself up to the book that I wrote in, you know, that, that, that I finished in 2023. And if I start tinkering with it, you know, it's just, it's a different book. And so I'm really proud of, I feel like I left everything on the table and like, that's the book I wanted to write. Oh. You know, I have heard some criticisms of it that, I think are valid, you know, but, but the, the, when I hear them, I don't really have the urge to want to like go back and tinker and like rewrite it. It's more mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. maybe in my next book, if I write another book, like, uh, you know, I can take some of those lessons with me. Um, but you know, this is, this book is, you know, I think of it as like a document of time too. Like I'm sure that 10 years from now I'll have a very different experience of blindness. And I might look back at this book and say like, wow, that I can't believe you know, how much I could see and like that I thought that that was blindness or like, you know, that right. text that I was talking about, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, what do I do with that information now? Like there's nothing. Right. Can do it. So, right. so it really and is I, like a, a time capsule. Yeah. And, and, and I'm more, I have no vision whatsoever mm. and I know exactly what you're talking about. It is mm. very, very different than looking back, you know, 10 years, 20 years and say, Oh, I could do this then. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't do it now. And there is an emotional adjustment that comes in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the tricky thing that I'm curious how, what your perspective on it is, because so much of the experience of RP in particular for me, it, and especially once I've started really digging into like the world of blindness is about kind of anticipating the next step. So like, yeah. you know, I'm at where I'm at now, I know it's going to change. And so like, if I knew that my vision right. was stable and was just going to stay here, like, I don't know that I would ever bother learning Braille, but because I know that my vision is going, like I'm sort of putting in this effort, you know, kind of like a investment in the an investment in the future. Yeah. And, and it's hard because like, I feel sort of like a faker. It's just like, what's the point? But, yeah. you know, I've, I've already had the experience multiple times, like with the cane and with screen readers where I was sort of like, I'm doing this just to sort of be a good boy scout. And then what do you know, like six months later, I'm like, don't know how I would survive without it. And so I wonder what, was that your experience too? And how did you approach that? Like 
staying well, ahead of the eight ball. As as soon as I left the school, I stopped really paying attention to Braille. I did some, but mm-hmm. it's like any language, you've got to keep at it or you do lose yeah. it. And I think, you know, some I look back on it and say, well, I've got all the books here. I ought to sit down because I could really use it now. Mm-hmm. But it's hindsight, and uh, it's one of those things where you really have to be motivated to yeah. do that. The pandemic, I think, for, uh, I suspect, for a number of, uh, well, for everybody, sort of changed things because, again, like all the things that you're talking about, you've got to keep it up. Mm-hmm. You've got to be out there with a cane or with a dog or whatever. I use a dog, mm-hmm. but uh, you get out there uh, and use the skills that you've learned and reinforce them. If you are in a situation where you're working at home, as many people were during the pandemic, and I was, mm-hmm. uh, you you know, once you're able to go go out there, then you get into the comfort zone where, mm-hmm. oh, well, I really don't have to do that as opposed to, you know, I've got to learn, I've got to, you know, do these things. And it's kind of sometimes... I think you can. Well, speaking for myself, I've gotten a little lazy and I've got to, <laughs> you know, say, okay, look, uh, you, know, you know, I even think about maybe I should be back at the school for a while and, and mm-hmm. get back in it because it really is so easy to get into that comfort zone. Yeah. 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 No, I know exactly what you're talking about. I even feel it on a micro level, like I'm in a dark restaurant and I have to use the bathroom and I'm like, Okay, like the effort that it's going to take for me to like, you know, ask where it is or find it myself. And like, you know, like just we were describing, like hitting people's tables and like, maybe I'll just wait, you know, and then I, but then I have the thought where I push back against myself and I'm like, you know, I have basic dignity as a person who like, if I have to use the bathroom, I'm going to have the bravery and just like not be lazy and just like go. And like, why would I sit here being uncomfortable just because I like, don't want to deal with the stress of like bumping into somebody's table. But, you know, you would think that I would have I've cracked that nut by now, but like, it's still just like, I think no. it's this constant, it, things just get snowed under again and you have to shovel yourself out again and again. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're human. We're going to, you know, we're going to say, ah, oh, no, I, I don't want to do it. I haven't, I haven't taught my dog to find a bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> He would. Yeah. He'd be more likely to take me to a tree because that's what he knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but you've you've got it uh, in terms of what the you know the continual struggle, and you know, there's part of us is going to say, "Oh, I wish I didn't have to go through this struggle." And sometimes, you know, sometimes I will get into that poor me stuff. Mm. And, you know, I hate it when I do it and I just recognize, okay, I give me, I give uh, myself five minutes to uh, Mm. say poor me and then I got to get back to business. Mm. But it is, you know, because being total, a total is different. Yeah. And I know that for a year I was without a dog and I really was like helpless because I didn't, hadn't maintained the cane skills. Mm. And I didn't have a dog uh, during the pandemic. He had died, and it was a year before I got uh, went and got another dog. And then when I oh, got sorry. a new dog, I had to relearn all that. Mm. I yeah. had to relearn how to get 
you know, get around and know the familiar uh, landmark because as even if we had vision and we've been away from someplace for several right. years and we come back, we'd have to be uh, reteach ourselves streets or whatever. But as blind people, it's the same, I think, in my experience, it's been exactly the same thing. If you're not doing the Braille all the time, if you're not uh, doing the route with your dog or the cane or whatever, uh, you tend to forget. Yeah. And it's yeah. like a new experience all over again. Yeah. You know, and it's it's funny, like, one thing that I find myself doing that I, I think I have to be careful about, because, like, the, the experience of blindness is is a unique experience. Not to mention, as you point out, like, the experience of, of being a total, as you put it, versus something with low vision is also different. But I think there is, like, a universal aspect to that, which is... You know, like if you want to be a writer, for example, like you really have to write every day. And like, I really had to be disciplined about like getting up at five, especially during the pandemic when my kids school kind of evaporated. And like, you know, those hours between five and seven were sacred to me. And like every day, if you write every day for for an hour or two in the morning, like, I don't care what you're writing, like you're going to chip away at it. You know, it might take three or four years, but like, if you do that every day, you'll have something to show for it, you know? And like, I think people do it with exercise, right? Like, like if you, if you're just like doing, doing 20 pushups every day, you know, by the end of that couple of years, like you're going to be able to do 150 pushups or whatever. Right. And so I think right. like, you know, right. blindness skills in a way are no different. And like, if you're just forcing yourself to get out there, like it's going to be painful at first, the same way that like the first time you go back to the gym after a couple of years, it's painful, but like, it is possible to chip away at these things. Right. And I think that uh, when you were asking about Braille and saying, yeah, uh, it's good if you can keep it up, but yeah. you know, if you decide now I need to go back to Braille and, and you know, there's a real tendency for all of us to say, oh, I should have stayed with it the whole time. And what, what was I thinking? And you know, all that second guessing, we yeah. say, okay, this is something you have to relearn. I learned it once. I should be able to learn it again. Mm-hmm. And I will be more diligent in keeping it up and give ourselves some breaks. Yeah. 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 And I, th- I think it has to do, you know, we may, and I'm just speaking for myself, I'm not uh, speaking for anyone else, but, you know, we have our expectation we're supposed to be perfect, mm-hmm. the perfect blind person or the perfect, you know. And yeah. when we don't, then we can slide unless we remind ourselves, wait a minute, you know, be kind to ourselves and say, okay, I let this go. I have to go mm. back to it and, and kind of encourage ourselves and say, I'm blind, but look at all the other things I can do as, you know, yeah. that, uh, that don't in, in, involve blindness. And look at you, you're still a writer. Yeah. And you'll always be yeah. a writer. And yeah. that's, that's where we have to keep reminding ourselves, yes, we may have less of one thing, but that's, that's true as we get older, you know, we mm-hmm. don't move as fast as we, as we did when we were uh, 16. But I that think there's part- something, I think there's something really important in what you're saying too, in, in that, you know, you started out talking about the, oh, you poor dear, you know, perspective that other people can take towards you. But, but, but now I think hearing you talk about being kind to yourself, you know, and, and the way that one can, oh, poor, oh, you poor dear yourself, you know, and I think it's in some ways that's, 
even more important than than sort of struggling with how other people treat you is how you treat yourself in these situations. Right. And right, and how you and, compare and so, yourself. Yeah. And how yes. you compare to other yourself to other people, particularly yeah. when you start comparing yourself to someone who's blind. Right. Or uh or, or just allow yourself to enjoy something like a painting differently. Mm-hmm. Or or the theater. I'm a real theater buff. I can't you now I use audio description and yeah. that enables me to enjoy it in a different way. It's not the same, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's such a powerful idea. I think if anything, I think that that would be the most important lesson I learned from from writing this book and just thinking about this stuff is that exactly what you just said that it's not necessarily like a you know people people only really th- see blindness or disability as a diminishment as lessening, you know, as a, something that's categorically worse. But if you can reframe it as a difference where where it's like sure like I need to find the restroom in this restaurant uh, differently. It's like, we don't have to think of it as a worse way. Right. It's just like, I got my blind style or, you know, I enjoy theater with audio description. That's a different way to do it. And actually like audio description brings up really interesting questions about description and language and interpretation that, mm-hmm. uh, you're not thinking about if you're just staring at the, at the, at the, at the actors on the stage. Right. And so, you know, it is silly to argue that like blindness is, you know, always puppy dog tails and sunshine and like it's not extremely difficult or, or inconvenient at, at best uh in many situations but that also doesn't mean that like it's only doom and it's only worse and that they're you know i feel really strongly that so much of the stuff that i discovered in this world from writing this book and just hanging out with blind people is genuinely world expanding rather than diminishing yeah well i think one of the things that uh a friend of mine who was at the at the school uh, loved to cook, and mm. one of the things she was afraid of, I won't be able to cook. Well, she mm. learned how little she used her eyesight in cooking. It was more mm. taste and feel and so forth, and yeah. that's what we have to just remind ourselves to, uh, yeah. that uh, we're different, we use different skills. Now, I don't want to be drive an 18-wheeler, <laughs> so, you know, I can't mourn the fact that I can't drive an 18-wheeler. Mm. But uh, there's so many other things that, that we have and also our appreciation of things that other people would take for granted. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So the people are using their their senses of touch and hearing all the time, but I do think they're unconscious of it. Uh, and, and being blind does sort of force you to appreciate those worlds and there's a lot going on in those worlds on the other hand you know it, it, i i'm amused at myself sometimes when uh you know somebody is treating me as if i'm not blind mm. and i say don't they know i'm blind well people <laughs> are so so used to me being able to you know, do my thing, and they don't have to. And I say, wait a minute, Lundgren, that's exactly what you want people to uh, do not focus on blindness, but focus on the things that I can do. And if they let me, uh, you know, do my thing, and I don't have to Mm. worry about them taking over, that's the ideal situation. Yeah, yeah. But it's... Right. But it's hard to get getting used to this different world, even though we've Mm -hmm. been in it, I've been in it, 
uh, for for a long time. It is a different world, and uh, that's why I'm doing a presentation. I said to counselors, and I'm going to say uh, I, I, what I'm the term I'm using it: uh, behavioral health care for uh, those who are differently able. Mm-hmm. Mm. and try to get people out of this mindset of disabled or, you yeah. know, whatever. I think I've, I've been indoctrinated enough to, to like that way, and I think that you also are looking at it from that way. And that's Definitely. an important, important uh, shift. Absolutely, yeah. How, you know, if you don't mind being personal, how is your wife adjusting? to all of this that you, she seemed to be a lovely person in the book. Oh, definitely lovely person in real life as well. I, you know, I'm, it was tough to include some of the stories about her that I did. Cause I, you know, I didn't want to just uh, gloss over some of the more difficult right. times that we've had. Right. That it. really struck me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think she was very generous in letting me include those moments because I think, I think it's important for people to understand. And it was something that I hadn't really seen represented in, in stories about blindness that much was, was the way that one's partner or one's family has to adjust alongside you. And, and I think there is this very solipsistic feeling that can come from blindness where it's like, like you said, like poor me, like this is only happening to me. Nobody else understands. Like they, they don't know what I'm going through. And my realization, I think in writing about my relationship with Lily in particular is that, you know, she didn't understand it in part because I wasn't talking about it or telling her about it or really including her in it. And so it was easy to get frustrated with her for having these sort of so-called, you know, incorrect responses to, you know, the first time I used a cane in front of her, you know, or when I would like, you know, do a bad job of cleaning up the kitchen when I didn't really realize my vision had changed and I would miss huge, you know, swaths of dirt on the counter on the floor. Um, but, but, but it felt important to talk about that in the book in part because it was so difficult to talk about it in our marriage. And, um, you know, that's an ongoing process. Like, it's not like I like wrote the book and we had the conversation and we're done, but at least we have a sort of better sense for the importance of those conversations. And so now as my, my vision continues to change, it's, it's a bit easier to say like, Hey, you know what? Like this isn't working quite as well as it used to. Let's, let's put our heads together and figure out a way to do it so that, you know, so that our, our lives together can function again. Well, I think that, I think that you're remarkable as a writer in paying attention to all of that and, uh, and we're all fortunate that your wife was willing to let let you write what you needed to write because I think it's, as you say, the whole family has to be mm-hmm. involved. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Unless you're single. That. Yeah. <laughs> but people yeah. have to, the family member more than anything else has to understand and also uh, their temptation is to try to protect us. Mm-hmm. And that's the right. thing that is actually doing the opposite. And yeah. so if if the caretakers uh, who are listening to us and uh, uh you know could read 
particularly that section, those sections in the book where you talk about your wife's experience, they benefit a lot from that. Mm. Yeah, I hope so. You know, and I think it gets back to the idea of of interdependence too. Like, I think there's a strong Mm -hmm. value in, in my figuring out how to continue to clean the kitchen, you know, like I can't just say, Oh, I'm blind. So like, I guess you have to clean the kitchen now, but at the same time, not going overboard and and understanding the ways in which it's okay for me to get help from Lily or, you know, for her to take over some things that don't make sense for me to do. And that there's no easy answer there. And it really requires a sort of day-to-day mindfulness of what makes sense or what, what people's needs are. And, and also Mm -hmm. realizing that, you know, she's got needs too. And like, just, you know, back to the sort of solipsism thing, I think it's easy to be like, well, I'm the disabled one. And so I, my needs are massive and that they're the main point of conversation, but like, that's not how marriage works, right? Like, like the both partners are, are equal in this. So that's been, that's been an interesting journey too. Yeah. Well, I think one of the other thing too, is that we can be very, uh, the, the spouse uh, or the partner uh, who is blind uh, can also be lulled into kind of using that as a weapon. Mm-hmm. I've seen this when I've done couples counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, again, uh, OAPD and <laughs> kind of encouraging. And what, what I felt as I was reading was the two of you were having a healthy interaction. Mm-hmm. That yeah. she was expressing some doubts and so forth and trying to get used to your situation, trying to understand it. And you were trying to uh, negotiate for yourself and help her negotiate it as well. <clears throat> and that was a learning. Yeah. That was a, a good because you don't, as you say, you don't often see that in, right. sometimes in real life, but also in terms of, you know, of uh, uh, book saying, okay, here's what ha- what both people have to do and what the children yeah. have to do and what will benefit everybody. Yeah, that's such an interesting idea that I think connects back to what you were saying about your friends, you know, your, 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 your feeling of like, well, why didn't they remember I'm blind? You yeah. know, not that you're using blindness as a weapon there, but it's something I recognize in myself too, where, you know, I've gotten so much attention from this book right. and like as a writer, using blindness as a subject and it's intoxicating, you know, and it can, and it can sort of lull me, I think, into this feeling of like, this is, this is the most interesting thing about me, you know, or like this is required now for me to, uh, <laughs> you know, to get people interested in a story. And, and I think there is something kind of toxic about that. You know, I think in the, in the positive sense, it's like, these are, you know, I, I'm really proud to bring blindness into, a, you know, a national conversation or a broader awareness. But on the other yeah. hand, I think it's, there is a risk of using it as a weapon in that way. And I don't want to, I don't want to hear myself turning into somebody who just sort of is like parroting like political talking points about ableism without really, without really capturing the nuance and thinking about it and, you know, and recognizing the places where blindness doesn't matter, you know, and where, where there might be some other issue that is the more salient point. But if I'm so fixated on using it as a weapon, I don't, I think that, that possibility falls away and it's right. like the only thing that I that, that's worth talking about in any given social situation. Well, we can always dream of the day where uh, physical difference doesn't make any difference. Mm. You know, yeah. which I know is a pipe dream, but, you know, to be able to 
where, okay, I'm blind. I know how to deal with that. You, you just be who you are. And then it, and, and being blind is only part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's not a major part. It just adds a little character, <laughs> adds a little character to my being. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I write in the book about the blind bioethicist and professor Adrian Ash, and she used to make the point that, you know, she didn't feel, ever really feel blind until she experienced discrimination because of her blindness. And that's when, that's when she really felt blind, but otherwise she was just, you know, Adrian, the classical music lover, Adrian, the, you know, the scholar, the, the, the activist, the friend and, and blindness was, was the sort of incidental characteristic that didn't, didn't really make a big difference until, you know, she tried to get a job and they said, I don't know how we, we could get a blind person to do this. And that's when she felt blind. Well, Andrew, this, this has been a wonderful conversation for me. I certainly appreciate your being on Blindside. Oh, for me as well. This has been such a pleasure. And uh, I hope that, you know, that we may even get you back on at, at another time, because I sure. think you're, uh, you're very articulate and you're a very good, you're a wonderful writer. In my thank you so in much. my opinion, um, <laughs> and I I thank you for having written the book. Oh well, I'm really grateful to have such a, a generous and careful reader as you, and uh, a great conversation. You know, I learned I learned a lot from hearing your perspective as well. Oh, oh great, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Blindsight. Your host Bill Lundgren, our guest Andrew Whelan. Again, I would uh, really suggest that people go out and uh, obtain a copy of the book In the Country of the Blind, A Journey into Blindness. It is available, talking book, with uh, Embarred, so that that's how I uh, managed to read it. Andrew, again, thank you. And for those of you who may have some comments or questions or whatever, uh, the website as of January 1st will be uh, uh, feedback at blindsight.org. Everything will be uh, uh, blind, uh, after sight, rather. I'm sorry. Feedback after sight.org. I'm still getting used to it. It changes January 1. But anyway, for any feedback, certainly this has been Blindsight. Thank you.